Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church Newburn podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky. I am one of your hosts. I am joined today over Zoom by Anna. Hey, Paul Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I wish you were on vacation too, but I'm on vacation here, spring break in Florida, and we're Zooming today's podcast. We are so technologically sophisticated. I can hardly believe it. Maybe. We don't know how it sounds yet till after it's done. But you have you had a good vacation? Has it been restful? It's been great. I like coming to Florida. It's kind of wild, but I like it. And uh, I actually spent today um, editing your sermon um, for, for today that we're going to hear in the podcast as well. And it's all about Thomas. And I know like three things about Thomas. Well, okay. And now I know like, no, I know it's three. I think I know three. three. Um, I okay. know what, what you talked about in the sermon about um, doubting Thomas or that we shouldn't call him that. My father's middle name is Thomas. And mm-hmm. I feel like Hollywood took Thomas there for a minute. And I feel like there's some, I don't remember the movie, but I feel like there was a movie and they sort of played off of how there's not a gospel of Thomas in the in the in the in the Bible and that he was like this renegade that said the church should not be in walls and should be anywhere or something, which I think we already preached that here at First Pres. So those are the three things I know about Thomas. Well, I'm gonna blow your mind then. Do you know that there is a gospel of Thomas? I mean, yes. And I think the point of that Hollywood movie was that there is, right? But it's not in the Bible. They didn't include it. They did not include it. It's one of the Gnostic Gospels, which um, in the 1940s, I think, the 1940s um, is when they found a bunch of of texts. Well, they weren't books. They were... um, um, just pieces of paper, papyrus in jars. And there's all this, I mean, I mean, books have been written about the intrigue and were some of them used as fire starters. I mean, and, and then they found them and they translated them. And some of them were gospels like the gospel of Thomas, which um, are very different from our gospels and yet very much like our gospels. So one of the ideas is that for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a Q source. So they all had a common source that they were using. And the Gospel of Thomas kind of confirms that because some of the things are very similar, but it's written in a very different style and it's written with a very different theology. Gnostic meaning gnosis, meaning knowledge, meaning that you sort of gain this secret knowledge through Jesus. The Gospel of Thomas doesn't really talk about um, crucifixion, resurrection. It doesn't emphasize those things. It's just a series of saying like, the one who seeks should not cease seeking until he finds. And when he finds, he will be dismayed. And when he is dismayed, he will be astonished and he will be king over all. So that's one of the sayings. And so it's really really fascinating to study in the light of the biblical canon that we have. um, And also to consider that we inherit a particular strain of Christianity. In the very beginning, there were all these different understandings about what Jesus was, what he did. And and then Paul and other disciples kind of narrowed it down to say, we need to get some basic agreement here. And so we inherited the Pauline Christianity. That's the version we got. And Gnostic Christianity, for various reasons, went by the wayside. So um, Thomas was a disciple? Yes. And then... The twin, one of the twins. So there's 13 of them? 
Well, originally they were 12, and then Judas did what Judas did, and then they no longer count him, and then they replace him with another disciple. So 12. So 12, and then if you count Judas, it would take it up to 13, but after Judas dies um, after Judas betrays Jesus, and so then they, they kind of um, take his name out. Out of those, off the top of your head, do you, like out of those 12, um, how many wrote Gospels then? Ooh, you know, I don't know that. And and here's the thing. They didn't really write them. It's very unlikely that they actually, it's more likely disciples of them because the Gospels actually came later. So some of the Pauline letters, which are a generation removed, are the ones that were written first. And then the Gospels were written after that. So it's likely disciples of. And they took on the names because that made them more prominent, which sounds bad. I mean, it's like if I want to write a book and so I'm going to use the name John Grisham, that would be frowned upon. Um, You know, we would not like that. However, in biblical times, you were supposed to do that. That was kind of the idea um, to get credibility and to and to get people to read what you were writing. It was encouraged. Well, everyone, uh, please. uh, I'm glad you could join us on our on my vacation, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we could sneak in this podcast. Me too. I hope it sounds good. I hope we can. Um, I mean, who knows what kind of remote locations we might pod from in the future. Um, shout out to all our listeners. We have a group of regular listeners to the podcast. We have a we larger group of um, people that watch the YouTube. Um, and those those people that watch the YouTube are starting to come from other places too. I've noticed we've gotten comments um, in, in our YouTube, um, you know, bless Bless be the Lord from India and people from around the world are tuning in to Anna Strait and First Pres Newburn. And Marin's sermon from Monday Thursday, which um, was just phenomenal. And I think when I checked, it had over 300 views. Um, so I love that it's reaching out. I do too. It's fun. Um, so have a great week, everyone. And we will um, talk to you next week. That, yep. Maren's preaching next week, so she'll get to podcast, um, but just um, keep my microphone. I'll be back the next week. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Paul Scott. Our gospel reading for today comes from the gospel of John, the 20th chapter, starting with the 19th verse. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called the twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by his nails, and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand in my side. No more disbelief, believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that are not recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is an old preaching adage that says we should preach from our scars and not from our wounds. That we shouldn't tell others about it until we have enough distance from it to speak about what we've learned rather than speaking out of how we are hurting. It's good advice for a preacher, but it's advice Jesus does not need. He is risen, but his wounds remain and they are what teach us. Could it have been another way? Could his wounds have been healed in his resurrection? Of course, with God, all things are possible. So what do his wounds tell us? What do they teach us? My friend and colleague, Meg Peary McLaughlin offers this. Thomas, lonely, confused, grieving his friend, scared behind closed doors, deeply hurting because his hope had died, stands before the risen Christ. They don't have a theological conversation. This is not a question and answer time. No, Christ shows him his wounds. It is almost as if Jesus points to his hands and says, Thomas, I know. It's almost as if he points to his side and says, Thomas, I know. Thomas sees Jesus' wounds, then he knows, and he pours out his confession, my Lord and my God. Thomas is able to utter his creed when he realizes that the risen Christ does know how bad it hurts. Thomas moves from unbelief to belief when he realizes that there will never again be a time when he has to stand alone in his pain. There will never again be a time when his pain stands alone. There will never be a time when your pain stands alone. Jesus understands. Jesus knows. And this is just one of the things that Thomas's interaction with Jesus teaches us. And yet history has given Thomas a peripheral role, a diminutive role with his name. We don't just call him Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, as if he came out of the womb and his mother gave him that full name, Doubting Thomas. But there's something interesting about the text here, and it's the doubt isn't actually how that Greek should be translated. It's what I grew up with, but new scholarship tells us that maybe there is a better way to translate this. It's why I use the Common English Bible for today instead of the New Revised Standard tradition. And that is that this Greek word here really should not be translated as doubt. 
And doubt may not be the best way to describe the interaction, the feelings, the experience that Thomas has in this moment. Brian Stofferjen writes that although many translations include doubt in verse 27 and thus leads to the phrase doubting Thomas, there is no Greek word for doubt in that verse. The contrast is between apistos and pistos. The only occurrence of both of these words is in John. And doubt is not listed as one of the possible meanings for apistos, what is in verse 27. Rather, he writes, the Bible is teaching us here that questioning God is an aspect of faith. If one is asking questions of God, seeking answers from God, then it necessarily implies that there is faith in God, faith that God exists and can respond. And it implies some trust that the answer will be correct. When Thomas questions Jesus, he is presuming the existence of God, the existence of a risen Christ, and he trusts the answer that he will receive. In fact, apistos here can be commended as an aspect of faith. Thomas, therefore, isn't an example of what we should not do. He's an example of what we should do with our faith. We should question and challenge and examine. Stoffergen goes on to write that rather than using meanings, different meanings in this sentence, do not be unbelieving but believing, I suggest that this should be translated with becoming. Do not become unbelieving, but believing. Do not become unfaithful, but faithful. Do not become uncertain, but certain. Do not become distrusting, but trusting. Thomas seems to be at a crossroads in his life in this passage. And the question is, what will he become? What adjective will describe him in the life that is ahead of him, trusting or not, faithful or not, certain or not? And maybe this is the question Thomas asks of us this day, not whether or not we have doubts, but what are we becoming? Are we becoming believing? Are we becoming faithful? Are we becoming trusting of our Lord and our God? Because here's what else we know. Thomas is the only one who proclaims his faith when he meets the risen Lord. The others are joyful, but Thomas is the one who says, my Lord and my God, while the others are still gathered in this room out of fear. Jesus comes and breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. He sends them out. And yet one week later, these disciples are still in this room afraid. Thomas is the one who is transformed, who invites us to transformation. Think about this for a minute. It's been a week since Easter, a week since the disciples have seen Jesus. And yet... There are many who are still so afraid they cannot move forward. And we need to be careful here. We need to be careful because how John describes their fear has been used terribly throughout the centuries. It has harmed, it has brought terrible things. And so we need to be very careful because when John says that they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, or as others translate it, they were afraid of the Jews, 
that has been used for damage. When in fact, what is happening here is that they are afraid of the ones who put Jesus to death. They are afraid of the Romans, and rightfully so. Jesus had been put to death, and that could happen to them too. But I'd also suggest that there was more fear here at play. It wasn't just fear of someone else. Maybe I would suggest they were also a little afraid of themselves, afraid that God's power might be too much for them, afraid that their love might be too little, afraid that they would not be able to do what Jesus asked, afraid because they did not fully understand that they were made in the image of God. They were called by Jesus. They were sent by Jesus. What are we afraid of? I believe that's one of the questions this passage in John calls us to ask. What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of not mattering? Are we afraid of not understanding? Are we afraid of the unknown? Are we afraid of the known? It's okay to talk about our fears. Jake Buma wrote this passage a few years ago. He wrote, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I mean, where to start? Let's just say, like many, I'm burdened every day with low-level dread of threats ill-defined and festering fears in the back of the mind. Is the glass not half full or is it me that's half empty? I'm afraid, I'm afraid, what if my cancer comes back? It's selfish, I know, yet I reflexively ask. Everything's fine, Jake, don't give it a thought. It's probably nothing, but what if it's not? I'm afraid, I'm afraid, what if creation succumbs to presumption and greed? Will we act like the earth matters or will we concede? I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I know we're wonderfully, fearfully made, so I tearfully and uncertainly pray, dear God, sustainer of life, keep me safe. They say faith over fear, but let me be clear. The premise is flawed, the dichotomy's false, set up like that and the truth will get lost. Faith over fear? No, we've got grace over here. See, our God intervened and stands in between me and all the demons threatening me. It's God crucified that keeps me alive, not my will or anything I would contrive. The chaos is pierced. Jesus says it is I. So I'm scared, but I know that in Christ I can hide, take shelter inside, love that heals what divides, unfolding, unfailing, breathtakingly wide. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm dust, but I'm claimed. I'm afraid, but I'm claimed. Isn't that what Thomas is teaching us? That faith isn't what happens when our lives get figured out. It's what gets us on the road to God. It doesn't cast out all fear necessarily, but it does shine a light on it. Because here's what we do know. After Thomas's declaration, the disciples do leave the room. Thomas proclaimed this truth. And they followed. Peter, who had denied Jesus, becomes the rock on which the church is founded. There is transformation. These disciples who are afraid become the leaders of the church. And others, and a few others, and then a lot more, also came to believe. 
and to proclaim my Lord and my God. And they told the story to someone else who told someone else, who told someone else, who told you, who told me, who told us, and now we get to tell the same story. And we can ask and answer that same question asked of Thomas, what are you becoming? I believe we are becoming believing. We are becoming faithful. We are becoming certain. We are becoming trusting. We are not giving in to fear or cynicism. We are becoming the image of God that is knit within each and every one of us. And it begins today with the wounds of Jesus and seeing ourselves not only in those, but also in Thomas who wanted to be certain, my Lord and my God. Thank you, Thomas. Amen. Now, friends, know that wherever you go and whatever you do, you are God's beloved children. So speak the good news. Deliberate the will of God. Reach out to the fearful. Comfort the lonely. Sing, hope, pray, and laugh. And may God walk beside us. May Jesus Christ create in us bountiful souls. And may the Holy Spirit add a dance to our steps. Alleluia. Amen.